Now, in our house, we are great fans of the traitors. Anyone else? Hmm. The Traitors is a television reality program with a difference. There he is. There's the host, Claudia Winkleman. And if Agatha Christie was to invent a game, it would be this. It's set in a Scottish castle. It's already got my vote. And apparently, I was reading this morning that um, people, holiday, holiday makers, is booming up by Ardross Castle, which is where it's set, because everybody wants to go to this castle to see it on the holidays. So they start with 22 contestants who arrive at the castle as faithfuls, and they soon find out whether they're going to play the part of faithful or as a traitor. And the role of the faithfuls is to find the traitor amongst the group and banish them all before the end of the game whilst the traitor's aim is to stay undetected and to escape being banished. There is a banishment every evening where they come to this round table and have it out with each other and vote who they're going to banish. If the faithfuls successfully work out who all the traitors are and banish them all before the end of the game, the remaining faithfuls are the winners and walk away with the prize money. If, however... There are any traitors remaining at the end of the game, then all the remaining traitors will win, take the win, and they will get the prize. And so in each episode, the faithfuls and the traitors must work together as a group on a series of challenges and tasks known as missions for the chance to earn money towards the prize fund. And it's through these missions and their general interactions that the contestants get to know each other and listen out for what, what, for what each other is saying and trying to detect if they are a faithful or if they are a traitor. And I just think some of them are just really bad judges of character <laughs> when I'm watching it. I'm like, how can you not see that they're a traitor? Um, and it's all very exciting in our household and it's got us very gripped as we're watching it. And the method of this game is really based on relationship and how well the contestants can get to know each other and see them as they truly are, rather than on this superficial le level. Because in doing so, they've got more of a chance of working out if someone is a faithful or a traitor. The more you get to know someone, the more you understand them and see them as they really are. Be real. And there's a similarity here in our lives as faithful Christians. Our goal is to be real in our relationship with Christ. Our prize is eternity with him. And in our Bible reading this morning, just in just these few verses, Paul sums that up very concisely, as Adrian said, when he says, but whatever were gained to me now, I consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from life, from the dead. 
Christianity is definitely not, shouldn't be a religion of rules and rituals that we must work at keeping in order to climb the ladder to heaven. Rather, it's a personal growing relationship with the risen living Lord, Jesus Christ, that results in our, our growing conformity to him. Our goal is to know him and to become like him. Adrian touched on that last week. And next week, we're going to look a little bit more at that. But today, as we're thinking about our covenant still, we're looking at that next part of the prayer on our card that says this, may my soul be a place where all I am becomes all that you want me to be in heart, mind, and spirit. Christianity is, is primarily a growing relationship with the infinite God who has revealed himself through the Lord Jesus Christ. Our relationship with him grows as our souls meet where all I am becomes all that he wants me to be in heart, mind, and soul. That's what that prayer says. As with all relationships, it begins with an initial meeting or an introduction. In Paul's case, it was not a planned or polite introduction, at least from his point of view. He wasn't seeking after Christ, inquiring as to how he could become a Christian. Far from it, breathing threats and murder, he was on his way to Damascus to arrest men and women who were followers of Jesus. When suddenly, a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard the voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he answered, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, who you're persecuting. So Paul met in that moment the risen Lord Jesus Christ. If we were to go around this room and ask husbands and wives to tell how they met each other, we would hear many stories. Some met as teenagers. Others were further along in life. Some were looking for a partner at the time they met. Others weren't looking at all. Some met, but things didn't develop between them for many months or even years. Others met and things took off like a rocket. For some, it was love at first sight. For others, a long friendship led to romance and marriage. But for everyone, we began a personal relationship with a partner from that first initial meeting. And because of it, your life took a new direction and that it would never would have taken if you'd never met. And it's the same with the relationship with Jesus Christ. Your introduction to Jesus may have been different from Paul's. You may have met Christ as a young child and reared in a, in a Christian home, or you may have met him later in life. It may have been a traumatic situation where in a moment of crisis you called out to him and were saved. It may have been less dramatic so that you can't even recall the exact time or place. But to, to mature that relationship, you need to continue to meet together with Christ so that you can nurture the relationship and know him more. And in the verses we're looking at this morning, Paul speaks to us about his relationship with Christ and all that he wants to know more of. He presents what is at the core of a mature life in Christ, what happens as we meet with Christ more and more. A story is told about a little boy who fell out of bed one night, and when his mother was helping him back into bed, she asked him what happened, and his reply was, I guess I stayed too near where I got in. And for some of us, our relationship with Christ is too much like that little boy. We've come too content with knowing we've made our reservation for heaven and therefore stay too near where we got in. And this could not be said of Paul, however. 
He could never be content with just being saved. I, I, it would have been inconceivable. And I love how the New International Reader's Version says this. We don't use this version very often, but I love how, he, how this is said. I want to know Christ better. I want to know the power that raised him from the dead. I want to share in his sufferings. I want to become like him by sharing in his death. Then by God's grace, I will rise from the dead. For Paul, salvation was just the beginning of that relationship. He wanted so much more. Why? Because he treasures it. Here's another TV program that's taken off in recent years. The Repair Shop. Do you watch that? Yes, some of you do. Now, each episode follows professional craftspeople from around the country who restore family heirlooms that have sentimental value for their owners. Viewers find out about the emotional family stories and events behind the pieces before joining the site of, uh, enjoying the sight of the technical skills and progress used to bring the pieces back to look more cared for and in working order. Now, every time I watch this TV program, I say that I would love to go on this and take this. This is Lucy, my baby doll. And I've had this baby doll for over 40 years. Um, and it's got a few rips in it. And um, it's got a mechanism that makes it kind of do stuff, but it can't do that anymore. Um, but I love, I love Lucy. And um, you looking at this doll will think, what a state this doll is in. And it's nothing special, really. But Lucy, I treasure Lucy. She's special to me, but nowhere else. And um, she'll not be going anywhere. So don't be... <laughs> if you chuck this out, I'll be going as well. <laughs> now, I find it. I'll put it there. <laughs> I, uh, I should get him to hold it, shouldn't I? I find it interesting when I watch this how um, one person's rubbish is another person's treasure. So when I uh, look at things, look at them bringing in something sometimes, I think, why on earth would you keep that? What is so special about that? And then, of course, you get to know the story, don't you? And you understand why it's a treasure to them. Lucy is my only first and only baby doll that I've ever had. And I've had it for over 40 years, and she's just been with me, and I've, I've played with her a lot. And, um, and then you go much deeper, and you get to know this story, and you understand why it becomes a treasure. And as we meet with Christ, we get to know him more. Our, our relationship deepens, and we treasure it more and more. And this was definitely Paul's treasure. And in writing this, he wants others to know that treasure too. What an incredible thing it is that this man, the author of the Philippians, is saying, I want to know Christ. This is a man who saw the resurrected Christ on the road to Damascus. This is a man who went up to the third heaven and saw incredible things, indescribable things. He had a vision of glory. A man whom the Lord appeared to in several times in the book of Acts and presented himself. And what does he want? He still wants to know Christ. That's incredible, isn't it? He's seen all that. He's experienced all that. And yet he's still saying, I want to know Christ. He's not satisfied. It's not enough. 
Can any of you say, I know Christ enough? For Paul, the more, the more he knew, the more he wanted to know. Paul, who had seen so much of God, wanted still to know more. John Piper said, the heart is a desire factory. What do you desire today? What is your heart cranking out? What are you looking forward to? What is your treasure? That's worth thinking about, isn't it? The Apostle Paul wouldn't have hesitated. Jesus is my treasure. I want to know Christ. I want to know him more. I want to know everything I can about him and understand him. And in this Bible reading, Paul talks specifically about the things that he wants to know about Christ. He says, first of all, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know his, the power of his resurrection. Paul is referring to the power that rose him from the dead, the energy working in you and me. It means spiritual life and energy inside us, transforming us, changing us, making us godly, making us holy, and making us fruitful and powerful and energetic for God. Paul is saying, I want to know that energy, that resurrection life inside of me. Resurrection power over sin and temptation. Resurrection power to serve God mightily every day of my life, storing up treasures in heaven, fruit for his glory. I want that energy in me. The power of his resurrection. At the moment of temptation, I want to feel the temptation and overcome it by his resurrection power. I want to see him conquer my fear to witness. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which God exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right-hand side in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority and power and, dom and dominion and every title that can be given. Not only in the present age, but in this age to come. Paul says, I want to know that power. I want to find out just how powerful it is. I want to see what he can do through a man filled with the power of Christ's resurrected life. What about you? Do you want to see what God can do through a woman, a man filled with the power of Christ's resurrected life? I do. I do. Paul then says that he wants to know the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in death. In other words, I want to know how to die to self every day and to my own desires. I want to learn how to suffer joyfully. I want to know what it means to take up my cross daily and follow Jesus. I want to know how to suffer each temptation to the 100% level until it goes away and I didn't sin. I want to exhaust every temptation and see those temptations dead on the field of battle. I want to know how to suffer like Jesus did. He was a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. And what is more, I want to know Christ in the suffering. I want him to stand by my side and give me the strength. I want to have that fellowship as I'm fighting the good fight. I want to know he's with me and pleased with me because I'm standing for him, both internally in holiness and externally in witness. I want to know the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. I want to be with him. Paul knew what it was like to have an unmistakable sense of Christ's immediate presence during times of immense suffering for the gospel. We know that from his experience in prison. And to Paul, it was all worth it. 
And I think this is a kind of central lesson of holiness for me, to learn how to die to self, to learn how to say no to myself, to take up my cross every moment and die to self and again and again until God calls me home. You can't grow in that relationship and you can't be a witness for Jesus without knowing that. To learn the fellowship of sharing Christ's suffering, to be willing to do hard things for his glory, to be willing to be hurt and rejected and to be willing to stand firm in a time of temptation and not give in. That is holy living. That is what it is to be a Christian and possibly (laughs) what we all struggle with the most. And finally says, I want to know about attaining to the resurrection from the dead. When Paul says that he wants to know Christ's suffering and become like him in death, he's not a masochist loving pain and suffering for its own sake. No, he wants it for glory. He wants it for good things. He wants it so that the kingdom can be built and so other people can be saved. He wants to go through all those things for glory and for resurrection and for the new heaven and the new earth, just like Jesus, who endured the cross, despising its shame for the glory and for the joy set before him. It wasn't just because of the cross, but for what good things could come from it. He wants to be like Jesus in resurrection body. He wants to be free from corruption and sin and death and mourning and crying and pain. He wants to be free from it all. He wants to be saved, finally saved, gloriously saved. Later in the chapter, verse 20 and 21, he says, But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. In Charles Wesley's brilliant song, Love Divine, we sing in that final verse, Finish then this new creation. Pure and spotless let us be. Let us see thy great salvation perfectly restored in thee, changed from glory into glory, till in heaven we take our place, till we cast our crowns before thee, lost in wonder, love, and praise. That's the ultimate goal of what meeting with Christ is about for Paul. And his desire is also Christ's desire for us. When we be real about our relationship with Christ and allow our souls to meet with him regularly, we know more about the power of his resurrection and how that gives us energy to live out Christ in this world. We know more about Christ's suffering and death and how that helps us to face suffering and death and temptations and persecutions. And we know more about how perfect life will be in eternity, which motivates us in this earthly life. We were safe to have a relationship with him. Christ desires that he himself be so important, so all-consuming that he and nothing else overwhelms us. What does that say to you? Is your relationship with Christ your driving motivation in everything you do every day of your life? Do you say like Paul, I consider everything else garbage, rubbish, but that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Is he your treasure? The songwriter Graham Kendrick wrote a familiar song, All I Once Held Dear, 
and it's based on this Bible reading. And in the second and third verses, Dennis, perhaps you might put the words up on the screen. It says this, the second verse. Now my heart's desire is to know you more, to be found in you and known as yours, to possess by faith what I could not earn, all surpassing gift of righteousness. And then this third verse says, oh, to know the power of your risen life and to know you in your suffering, to become like you in your death, my Lord, so with you to live and never die. And then that chorus, knowing you, Jesus, knowing you, there is no greater thing. You're my all. You're the best. You're my joy, my righteousness, and I love you, Lord. Are these words true for you? Is that your heart's desire to know him more? We're going to sing this song together and spend some time in reflection and response. What is the Lord saying to you this morning? Let's be real as we meet with Christ just now as we sing this together. Thanks, Louise.
I'm going to ask Louise just to keep playing that. So we just have a moment where we can come and meet with God just now. I wonder, as you think about being real this week, what are your treasure? Where does your treasure lay? Is it at the feet of Jesus? Or are there other things that kind of take over? What are the things that take you from spending time with the Lord and regularly meeting with him and being with him? Is there any other way that you can work out life so that you can spend this time with him? If you treasure him, that is. Come and meet with him just now. Join with me singing that chorus again. Knowing you, Jesus, knowing you, there is no greater thing. Here we go. Knowing you, Jesus, knowing you, so let me pray with you. Father, sometimes I sense that I am living far below your best for me, far below that intimacy with you, which is my privilege in Christ. Forgive me, forgive us, renew our hearts and intent in our hearts an intense longing for more, that we might seek you diligently and find in you our heart's desire. Knowing you, Jesus, There is no greater thing. May we know that. May that be our experience. May that be our heart's desire. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.